Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey there, welcome to episode 44 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I am so excited that you joined us today. I hope you're having a beautiful fall, day, night, or evening. I'm doing this recording of the introduction part the day after Halloween. My husband and a group of my friends, we went out for the Halloween parade last night to West Hollywood. And it was fantastic to see all this beautiful costumes. And I got lots of great ideas about the sexy outfits that I can try. And it it was just fantastic to be around that energy. And it's great to see that all this terrorist attacks and fear in the society today, people are willing to go on and have fun and show show their liveliness and share it with each other. It was definitely a very uh, wonderful experience. Today, we're going to talk about tantric practices. Usually, when I hear tantra, it's when I'm taking like the sex education continuing classes or in the history of sexology conferences, we usually get like two slides on tantric practices. So I know I'm definitely not an expert in it. And when our guest, Elise, reached out to me and I saw that's one of the area of her expertise, I was excited to invite her on the show. This is not the area that there were like scientific research on it. So that's why I thought it would be wonderful to invite a coach and a practitioner to tell us about this practice a little bit more. Elise Carr is the woman behind Stella Muse. Known as the pioneer of uni heart mind power, she mentors, counsels, 
and advises your journey and awakening from within through sacred guidance, sacred sexuality, spirituality, and soul. With unwavering enthusiasm, fierce dedication, and spirited insight, she guides inspirational and aspirational souls on a purpose-driven, joy-filled mission away from fear, dissatisfaction, and illusion, and into courageous love and mental clarity, guiding them to live life as their most authentic, nourished, and unique selves. She is also a student of esoteric mysteries and a certified holistic life health coach, tantra practitioner, and Reiki master, as well as writer, speaker, model, and artist. The guide who has taken the off-road in hills and blissed bare feet, gathering the fabulous bag of sacred and soul food mastery, nourishing expertise and inspiring hard-won life lessons and skills to share for you to shine. Here's my conversation with Mrs. Elise Carr. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited, as I mentioned during the introduction, to have Mrs. Elise Carr, Tantra practitioner and holistic coach, to join us today. Welcome to our show, Elise. Thank you, Nas. It's lovely to be here. I'm, I'm so grateful to be spending this time with you and, and having the opportunity to have a chat about something that's really important to me and, and I believe to you as well and I trust our listeners as, as well today. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on as well. And, you know, Tantra is a topic I wanted to invite an expert to talk about it because I'm definitely curious to learn more about it as part of, you know, history of sex, history of sex, all of those classes I took. Maybe I looked at like two slides or a chapter on Tantra, but I don't know necessarily as much about this topic. So I'm very eager to learn from you. So let us start with kind of talking about what is Tantra? What do you mean by sacred sexuality? Sure. First of all, I just want to premise it by saying most people in the Western world who I guess promote or, or work in this field are really focusing on the pleasure side of things and and the sex or sexuality side of things. And it's a shame because that is only one tiny slice of the of the delicious pie that is Tantra. Tantra, the word itself, means to weave, to expand consciousness. So everything we do is emerging together. If we think of dark and and light, if we think of summer and winter, we think of Shakti and Shiva, which is the goddess and the god. It's the two parts that merge and come together as one to create that wholeness, to come together and unify to raise consciousness. So if we can just move away, I guess everyone listening going, oh, it's not just about organs. It's not just about having pleasure. Indeed, it's not. Tantra has been around for thousands of years. Most of us have never read the actual tantric sutras because many of them have not actually been translated into English. So we've only got a little bit of the puzzle to play with, to be honest, if we're working with it in a Western context. We have to go pretty deep. We have to find teachers who are actually authentic, who have actually perhaps read some of these texts or, or had authentic Eastern teachers themselves. This is what makes us different, I suppose, from those who have just done a little weekend retreat and, and now are teaching people how to move sexual energy. So it's a very, very big pie. And it depends what people want to explore. Some people really only do want to explore the pleasure. That's all they want. They actually maybe have never experienced pleasure 
in their lives and they want to find out what that feels like for themselves. They want to find out how they can create that in their relationship. And that's still beautiful and that's definitely part of the puzzle. For me, the more I've done Tantra over the years professionally and held space for women and men and couples, the more passionate I am about encouraging them to see that the sexual side of things, which to me connects to the animal nature, that kind of lower genital space called the yoni space for women and the lingam for men, that space is is just the bottom of the rung. It's the baby playing pool. We want to be able to merge that part of ourselves to a higher space, to raise that energy into heart space, to be able to actually express emotions with love and kindness, to actually start to feel love, to exchange that. Most people, you know, they might be aware that someone loves them. And I'd like to think we all feel that we are loved, but do we actually know what that feels like? Have we actually tangibly felt an exchange of love during lovemaking or during an intimate time, even just with a friend when, when you're maybe perhaps crying over something that's really deeply painful? Things like that and then to, to evolve again and grow and expand ourselves again to reach a connection in the mind, to reach a connection with consciousness, to then reach a connection with whatever you want to term it, whether you call it the goddess or God or universe or just something greater than us, source. So to me, it's, it's a very long journey and it's a way of life. To me, Tantra is a way of life. It's not a religion. It's not a dogma. It's definitely not something you just, you know, try on here and there unless, of course, it doesn't resonate with you. If it's something that you want to explore, then yes, normally it's something that people explore for life if they're deeply committed to it. That's so fascinating. I'm so glad you mentioned about the expanding the consciousness because I remember in one of my graduate programs, we had this class on existential psychology. And one of the things that this, uh, one of the well-known professors we were talking about that how sexuality is a way for someone who experienced some like spirituality and he was talking about self-actualization. And that is so interesting. That's something that people can do by practicing Tantra. So I'll reviewed your website. I read your material. It seems like you have ex- expansive and extensive experience in training and the uh, teaching that you received in this area. So I'm kind of curious, how did you get interested in practicing Tantra? Mm, it's a really good question. And it is kind of peculiar because if you do read into my history, you'll see that I was an international model and a foreign correspondent journalist. So they're kind right. of quite far removed from consciousness, to be honest. And that's probably part of the reason. I was always born hungry for for truth, for, for love, for beauty, for wisdom. And I've known that throughout my life. There were just phases where it was suppressed, where I thought, oh, no, you better go get that degree. You better go do this. You you know, you've got this opportunity to model. You should go on to that. But there are times in my life where you meet a crossroads, as, as we all do. For me, one of those was when I actually got back from an international modeling trip. And I, I've never been into the sex, drugs, rock and roll party and, you know, all of those things. I wasn't taking drugs. I was burning the count at both ends by working really, really darn hard, to be honest. I was away from my loved ones. I was disconnected emotionally and energetically from love and from growing. And I was so hungry, I started studying Buddhism and just anything to stimulate my mind and heart while I was you know, working like 10, 12 hours a day. And eventually I came home to Australia and within a week I was hospitalized with a cyst on my ovary that ruptured and the toxic liquid that went through my body actually caused my heart to flatline. So my heart stopped four times. It started again on its own each time. So I actually became a case study in the hospital because it was rather miraculous to be honest. But after that I was intensive care and I came out and in a simple form, 
I was myself, but I wasn't. I was dead inside. I couldn't model in fashion week. I couldn't get a real job as my partner at the time termed it with my degree. I didn't have a partner anymore because he left me. Every title that I associated with being me, you know, journalist, writer, model, girlfriend, everything was stripped away. Everything. So it was just my physical body, which was needing deep repair. And this tiny little flame within me going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I had a conversation with my auntie who lives in the United Kingdom. And she said, and this is, you know, just to put it out there before Facebook. So I used to write these epic emails to my loved ones about my journey, you know, of modeling and what's happening in this show and where I'm at and my travels and what city I'm in. And she says, why don't you take all these emails and, and turn it into a fat book? And, you know, I was a journalist. I didn't do creative writing. I was like about the facts and, and, and sharing what's going on in the now. So it was, it was a challenge that I accepted because I was very over watching reruns of The O.C. and Sex and City at the time. I needed real stimulation. <laughs> so I, I threw myself into that and then I realized from there I needed more and more and more. So I went back and studied my master's in communications and cultural politics and women's studies. And it was there that I started to understand the concept of feminism. And, and what a feminist is and the equality that I was striving for in day-to-day life. And I have a deep love and reverence for men, all the more reason why I think this was driving me because I wanted to be able to educate women and men. And I thought, how can I apply this? And I went and studied, you know, life coaching and health coaching. Then I went and discovered Tantra. I did my Reiki masters and I was getting all these pieces of paper and these experiences. And, and then I realized I had to create a platform to combine it all on so I can actually serve. There's no point getting pieces of paper if we're just going to put them on our wall. That's how I felt. So eventually I, I created Stella Muse and, and combined all of this and, and have now evolved it to, to offering sacred guidance sessions, which is like psychology for the soul, where we combine the work that I've trained in with the body, with the heart, with the mind and emotions and, and actually going beyond that to consciousness and getting a soul connection to our actual authentic truth, not just, you know, things that feel good but what we're actually here to achieve, how we're actually here to serve, how we're actually here to be in this human experience and as souls. And to me, to be able to combine everything that I've learned and, and offer that through Stella Muse is the greatest reward. And that to me, I suppose, makes me feel like I'm actually serving and, and have some more purpose. I still do the odd modeling job here and there, but on its own, it was never enough. What a beautiful story of recreating and shifting everything and what a insightful young woman you are and you were that you kind of realized that that wasn't working for you, that the lifestyle you had wasn't serving your soul. And then you found your purpose and doing this health coaching and tantra practices. So I'm kind of curious. I always, you know, I've seen the, the images of people practicing Tantra on like, you know, ashram, like those places, different places in India and Africa. So what is the practice of Tantra usually look like? That's a really broad question, I suppose, because Tantra, as I said, is a way of life. To me, it's it's how you connect. Tantra embodies the lightness and the dark. So if you are having a conversation with just a friend, it doesn't have to be sexual, and you are completely present with that person and you're not looking at your phone, you're creating eye contact, perhaps they're going through something deeply emotional and you are just holding space. You are letting them talk. They feel safe. They can trust you. They can open up. They're sharing things about their life that they've never shared with anyone else. In that moment, that to me can be a tantric experience because that is when things change. There's a shift in consciousness. If you are on your phone and kind of listening, oh, that's really sad, sweetie. Hey, let's put this show on. Or what do you feel about going shoe shopping? You know, the reality of how most people can be compared to that fierce presence to start with 
and the intimacy that comes when you're holding space for someone, the eye contact, how you actually listen. Listen to not just the words they say, but start to actually feel into their emotions, start to feel their energetic body, start to notice that they might be saying something that behind that is actually deep pain. They're not doing so well. Start to ask questions that can encourage them to open up and actually share what they are really hungry to share because they're hungry to be seen and heard and loved and cherished and held too. So to me, that is tantric. You can have a tantric lifestyle in in everything you do, even the way you sip your tea in the morning. And then, yes, absolutely the way you connect with your beloved, how you hold space with them, how they hold space with you, that you also practice the art of loving kindness, compassion, non-judgment, humility. All of this, even your boundaries, your ability and your conviction in saying yes when you want to say yes and no when you want to say no and honoring that because you honor yourself, all of this is part of a tantric lifestyle. And then we look at, you know, the energy because everything strips back and comes down to the to the basis of energy. And we look at chi or, or prana, as it's called in India, chi is Chinese, and we look at ching, which is sexual energy, and how we cultivate these in the body and how we bring them into the body. So if we're looking at chi or prana, you might have heard that term if you've, if you've done yoga, chi or prana is brought into the body through the way we breathe, which is so important because most people shallow breathe. They don't know how to expand their belly like a Buddha belly and take a beautiful big inhale and then exhale, draw the belly button all the way to the spine as you let all that stagnant stale air out. 10 deep breaths like that to start the day or when you're feeling frustrated, you want to throw a shoe at someone or when you're trying to sleep at night, all of that can just be a 30 second experience of, of Tantra. The way we also bring more chi or prana into our body is through the water we drink, clean, beautiful, filtered water without fluoride, ideally, the food we eat. So taking the food that the earth has provided us, the beautiful, fresh food directly from the earth, ideally organic, not riddled with pesticides and all of this, to nourish our body. And then fourth, it's the sunlight. Sun is the guiding force. That is the energizer of humanity, of the planet. And we need to connect with that. So, and that's also, you know, the masculine side, the moon's obviously the feminine. So we've got that duality there as well. So balancing the dualities, working with the elements, being present, connecting, honoring such, I guess, ways of life of looking at love and kindness and compassion, all those kind of things all combine to to nourish the tantric lifestyle before you even get to the ching, which is the sexual energy, which we're born with, you know, in, in the gonads. So for women... It's in the ovaries for men, it's in the testes and that energy we can learn to cultivate and to move it through our body and then to apply it into something creative. We're well aware that the most powerful creative force on earth is to make love to bring a child into it. That is one way that we put that sexual energy into a creative outcome, amazing creative outcome. Other ways we can channel energy is into a creative project like a painting, like a dinner party, like that next slideshow presentation you're going to do at university. Whatever it is, we can use and learn to cultivate sexual energy to apply it into what we want to manifest into the physical form. That's why they say after practicing meditation, you should then take that energy and put it into an actual tangible, physical, creative outlet because we're creating this energy. We want to put it into something so that it can be useful, so that essentially we are being of service, so that it goes beyond just us. We are ultimately here to serve after all. That is so interesting because I like how you talk about Tantra. Tantra is 
more a way of life, being a living authentically, usually definitely is broader than what I imagine. I definitely associate the tantra with spirituality, but I didn't know can be a way of living. Yeah. And often, you know, there's the Kama Sutra as well, all the sexual positions. That's another thing that people think is Tantra. And that's not. The Kama Sutra is completely separate as well. So that's, yes, another little typical kind of assumption people make as well. So just thought I'll throw that out there. Right. No, absolutely. And the other thing is, so you mentioned that you adopted this lifestyle. And I'm just kind of curious for the people that you work with, for yourself, what are some of the overall benefit that you've noticed that people, the shifts that you see in people after practicing and adopting this tantric lifestyle? Mm, that's a beautiful question, Naz. I'd say if we strip it back and keep it really simple, presence and calm, there's a different inner knowing that everything works in cycles, that when things aren't working or going your way, how you want them, when you want them, and you've been pushing and forcing it, that it's okay, that perhaps it's not your time for harvest, that you're actually able to take a step back and be the witness and understand how the process works. This could also be the same if you're going through uh, a releasing of an addiction because often if you're an addict of whatever sort, this could be shoe shopping, it can be drugs, it can be sex, it can be anything, it can be food. We often when we work through the process of addiction find ourselves going in a cycle where we'll be great sometimes and we can really hold it for a while and then we might slip back and, and have literally a slip up and go back to that way before we pick ourselves up again. On a tantric path, just like a conscious path, just like a yogic path, you find that if you commit to doing the work, which means showing up every day the best you can, the best you know how, applying what you know and your wisdom and knowledge you've gained, that if you slip, and your slipping might be maybe you just get really angry and you've got very little patience with your beloved, with colleagues, with your child, that you catch yourself quicker and quicker than you normally would and you're able to bring yourself out of it faster. So we don't wallow. We don't stay in victimhood. We don't stay in those dark and depressive moments. We also call it the dark night of the soul, which is more of a, a spiritual phase when you go within, when everything feels like, like for me, when I came out of hospital, that was a dark night of the soul because everything that I knew that I attached energy to that I that I attached value to was stripped away or died off. So I had to really ponder and sit with and and cry and experience the pain to then come through into the light of having deeper wisdom and knowing. So there are times when we have to do that dark work and that is about Tantra as well. So giving people, my clients, even my loved ones who like to talk to me about what I do, giving them the kind of tools when these dark nights of the soul or the challenges of life present themselves, that they are able to do the work, that they know they can reach out and, and call someone like myself or have a session with someone like myself. But more than ever, they're more empowered now to understand that they will get through this that it's not the end of the world, that life isn't over, that even if things are horrific and they're going through a divorce or their loved one that they've had in their lives, their entire life is actually passing over, that they can work through this because they have a deeper understanding of working through emotions and deeper understanding of training the mind and understanding that we need both of them in harmony. We can't suppress our emotions, but we don't dwell in them. We can't just live in the mind space because it disconnects the heart, that we need them to both talk. So that to me is one of the most beautiful parts of this journey is especially when we get to empower people and that they know they don't have to rely on someone. It's like, I just feel like I'm a guide. I'm holding the light. I'm holding that, that lamp. You can come to me. I can help lead the way, but I want you to know that you also have that candle, that, that flame within yourself as well, that you can help yourself. So really it is about empowering people in a sense, giving them the wisdom and the knowledge and knowing that they're also not alone, that there is something or someone out there, God, universe, source, that is also guiding and loving them too. 
What a beautiful analogy you talked about, like having the light and everyone having the light within themselves. So whether they choose to uh, use it or, you know, not acknowledge it. That's a very interesting way of putting it. The other thing I want to definitely talk to you about that you talked about uh, cultivating the sexual energy as a source of energy. And I know that opposite that the topic of the thing that you were talking about a few minutes ago, as far as cultivating that energy, many feel shameful, fearful around their sexuality. So what are your recommendations to our listeners? And again, I, I totally understand that Tantra is more than that. But again, many mm-hmm. of our listeners have challenges around their sexual sure. being, sexual energy. So, and they want to connect with others. So what are your recommendations when someone want to authentically connect to a partner? What, what they need to do? What kind of work they need to do? Sure. Well, the foundation is being aware of yourself your patterns, your cycles, trauma that perhaps you've suppressed for a long time that you haven't actually processed. If you've had emotional pain in your life, physical pain, mental, sexual pain, and you haven't actually let that be risen to the surface so that you can acknowledge it, feel it and release it and let it go, it is going to be carried around with you. It's why we talk about carrying baggage into the next relationship. That's the baggage. And it kind of sits, we say, in in the astral body, kind of your energetic field around you. So if you're really heavy in this, most people who have any element of perception will feel something about your presence. People who are really astute will know it straight away. People who are completely closed off and live their life with horse blinkers on or with a little blindfold to any depth won't pick it up. But at some point, most likely, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll feel it yourself if you don't already know it's there. So... That means you've got to start doing the work with you, whether you're in a relationship with the beloved or you want to be or you're even not interested at the moment in being in a relationship. It does start with ourselves initially. So when I say being aware of your cycles and patterns, it's kind of like if someone offended you or even someone cuts you off in traffic, you know, what's your reaction? What do you do? Now, are you able in that moment to control that? And be aware, I'm really angry right now. I can't believe I just did that. And instead of, you know, screaming, shouting, beeping the horn or whatever, you just, oh, okay, let it go. These things just happen. And instead of reacting, you learn to respond. And you don't ignore it. You you admit, I'm really angry right now. But you don't have to have a knee-jerk reaction and literally let your animal nature or your ego personality take over. You can learn to acknowledge it and then come from heart and go, you know what, maybe that person's not really in a great space right now or whatever it is. It's not making excuses. I mean, maybe that's something that you actually feel could be a possibility. You know the difference. So those kind of things are really important. If you are in a relationship with a beloved and you want to deepen that relationship, you want to deepen that connection, you want to have more intimacy, which in Tantra we say is into me, I see knowing that you are a reflection of each other, that you're in each other's lives to help each other grow. And you're going to challenge each other and you're going to test each other. And it's often going to be a little bit painful. And other times it's going to be beautiful and juicy and sweet. We we know this. Nothing's always, you know, unicorns and roses in a relationship. Or well, what's the point? You wouldn't be growing. You'd be living in illusion. And sometimes people call that puppy love or the honeymoon phase, right? So if you want that with your beloved, then ideally you both want it. It's challenging if only one partner wants it. And if you are that one partner that wants it, you'll probably meet a crossroads where either you'll have to have a conversation where you go, this is what I need. This is what's important to me. I'd, I'd love it if you want to share this with me. And that other partner will then have the opportunity to go, well, actually, it's not going to happen or, okay, let's do this together. So there's always that part as well. Having 
open, honest, loving communication where you can feel comfortable in communicating your truth, that is absolutely a non-negotiable. And I mean saying this from a loving place, not demanding what you want and not saying, well, I just heard this and this is what we need to do right now. No, especially if you're the woman, the woman is supposed to use her heart power, her absolute ultimate feminine power and essence to invite the man to make him want to connect and share this. So it can be very beautiful when instead of going, you know what, let's do this. Instead of, hey, my love, I just, I heard this. I'd, I'd love us to try. What do you think? Let's create some time and explore this together. It'll be fun. Or however you want to language it because you know your beloved best and call them cookie or whatever you call them instead. So communication is really huge. The other thing is if you're both hungry and ready and wanting this and you're on that page, which is the ultimate, of course, is then to create time and space. It's the one thing that we don't often do in our lives. I mean, if you actually look at your life right now, look at your schedule or your plan or your diary and go, well, hang on a minute. I haven't even scheduled in like a Pilates class for myself this week because we are doing, doing, doing all the time, doing for others. And we forget that sometimes we just need to be. And Tantra is a balance of doing and being. More so being because being is the feminine. Being is when we slow down and then we can connect. So I love it if couples are open to creating what I like to call sacred sessions. So some people don't find it romantic, but we just got to get over the stigma of scheduling time together. So it might be every Wednesday evening, you know, if you have children or not, children are in bed or you've got that time and you you block out a couple of hours and maybe it's just to make dinner together. Maybe you do it naked. Maybe it's sexual. Maybe it's not. It can just be about being together. No television on, no phones. You are utterly with each other, connecting, talking, sharing. Maybe it does lead to something pleasurable physically. Maybe it does lead to making love eventually. It doesn't matter. Tantra is about the journey, not the destination. So even if you do choose to make love, you're not going, oh, I just can't wait to have an orgasm and get this over so I can roll over and go to bed. No, it's about enjoying that person's body, about feeling how they are feeling. It's about connecting emotionally. It's about connecting with eyes and heart and mind, mouth, genitals, all of the above. So I guess that's a little bit of a spectrum depending on where you are. You'll you'll see what works for you. But all of it connects to honest communication no matter what and being prepared to be vulnerable and start to know yourself. We know that, know thyself. Like it's a very famous saying. It's a quote that has stayed with us for time because it is absolutely undeniably true. We need to be prepared to take that journey within. And to me, that is one of the most beautiful parts of Tantra as well, is going within. And to me, as I say on Stella Muse, I mean, that's awakening that power within. That's when you start to really know yourself. You start to, like I mentioned, that flame, you start to actually fan that flame and it grows within you. That's when you start to to begin your journey of awakening after awakening. That is so interesting. And I love how you mentioned that this is a practice that people can do in relationship. They can invite their partner and lover to be part of it. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds like that's something that people can do even they're not if they don't have a lover or they, they're not in a relationship. Exactly. Exactly. Just that inner journey on its own. No matter what your status, you know, in a relationship is, is so powerful because when you start to understand who you are, how you work, what, you know, illusions and glamours or mistruths you buy into that aren't serving you anymore, you know, things you feel you need to do, things you feel you need to be or whatever it is, when you can strip back all of that and literally let a few things die off and leave. And sometimes relationships end. It could be a friendship that ends. It might be your career path that you go, hey, just like me, you know, it's not nourishing my soul. Whatever it is, it might be moving country. Who knows? Maybe you decide to go back and study something. Just starting to understand who you are, 
how you work is going to shift you closer to alignment. And it might just be a couple of degrees that you're off, that you just got to gently tilt yourself so that you're more authentically on your path. And then if you aren't in a relationship, you might find you start to gravitate towards someone or someone automatically kind of, you know, comes into your field because you are on a different vibration. That to me is really powerful as well. Right. And it seems like, again, as you mentioned and elaborated several times during this show, that it seems like more about a way of being. It's more about being mindful and showing up and what's going on in your life. And I love how you talked about we are focused on doing and not being in being. And it's about creating a space to be present. Definitely. And, and especially for couples, because it's all too easy to get swept up in the everyday, literally that doing, that achieving, which is it's the forceful masculine way of, of living life. So we've got to come back and go, hang on a minute, have I actually had a moment with my beloved today? Have we even kissed? Have we even hugged? Maybe I should send them just a little text just to let them know I'm thinking of them. All those little things for the record can also be classified as foreplay. Foreplay can start the first thing in the morning and build up all throughout the day. And especially women love this because it makes us feel seen and held and heard so that by the time the end of the day has come, we've had like several little touch points where we know our partner's thinking of us or is connecting with us and, and there's love there. And then the evening comes and we feel more soft and more ready to open to let them come in and merge with us. Because otherwise, if you know you just rock home at the end of the day and you're a bit stressed and you just want to have a quickie, it might work. But more often than not, even if the woman is physically ready, her heart and her mind aren't going to be ready. And she's not going to experience the magnitude of her sexuality that she can experience if you as a man create that space for her throughout the day and literally warm her up. Because here's the thing, woman is like cold water. And you put her in the kettle and you got to turn it on and you got to give it time for it to slowly start to boil and bubble. And then all of a sudden she's on. And we know if boiling water is boiling for some time, it can stay in that space. That is woman. Men, you know, are like a light switch. You just flick it on and they're on. They're much easier. That is, that is the duality we're dealing with here. So women are aware of how men are. Men aren't always aware of how women are. Or if they are, they're kind of like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just give her like five minutes. I'll, I'll just, you know, pleasure her a little bit and she'll be fine. Well, no, not really. We need to understand that if, if you actually gave a woman, let's say 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and that may sound crazy, but if you did, give her that just holding her, caressing her, kissing her, massaging her, she would be so much more open to receive than you could ever imagine, especially if all you've ever given her before is, you know, two to five minutes, if that. So if you're in a couple, this might be something that you want to explore and play with because it would change the experience for both of you. That's the beautiful thing. Men go, oh, it's all about the women. You don't understand that if you invest in your woman and allow her to open up, to really flower and blossom and thrive, she is going to radiate her essence, that deep, beautiful feminine power, and you are going to feel that because it's going to penetrate your heart. It's going to change you as a man for the better. So, And this is obviously if you are in a relationship for a man or woman. So experiencing that energy exchange can be deeply powerful. And even if you are in a same-sex relationship, which is perfectly fine, you will naturally gravitate at times to one being more masculine, one being more feminine. And you can explore these roles. But as long as someone can, can hold that space, someone to receive, someone to give, then you'll be able to do the same dance as well. Because this is a dance of energy. And that's what we need to understand, the fluidity of it, the playfulness of it, the joy of it, the joy of giving as well as the joy of receiving. Often women go, oh, okay, if he's done that for me, I better do that for him. No, 
There are times when it's okay to just receive. It is not selfish. You actually need it to fill up your cup because you're like a watering can who's constantly watering the roses and you never stand still long enough to let the rain come down and fill you up. You're not going to be able to continue to water the roses forever if you don't allow yourself to be nourished. So it's a really important reminder for women especially who are trying to be the superwoman, the CEO, the mom, the wife, the daughter, the best friend, all these hats that a woman wears. You know, and then for men, they need to understand that they need to have a kind of a changeover period. So they might come home from their day of work and just kind of walk straight in the house and, and they still kind of got work on their mind and they might even be checking email and, and instead of connecting with their beloved or even their child or children or whatever the scenario is, they are still got one foot in the office. So there needs to be a connection with the wife and child instead, as an example, which means there needs to be a disconnection of where that just came from. That's why I like the 10 deep, you know, full belly kind of Buddha breaths to go, okay, I'm releasing my day and now I'm going to step into how I want to show up as my, as my, you know, wife's beloved. I'm here for her today or my girlfriend or my partner or how am I going to be a great father for my little girl or my little boy? So keeping these things in mind, no matter if you're a man or a woman, or maybe you as a woman really actually connect with that and go, I'm actually coming into my home still with one foot in the office. Maybe that's you. I say man, woman, but that can also easily change to masculine and feminine. So this is part of that knowing thyself and being aware of where you are, your patterns, your cycles, like I mentioned before, this is all like that. Right. So have a little think now, you know, how do I fit in? What am I like when I come home? How do I show up? Am I not showing up actually? Am I being selfish? If you're in a relationship, there's two people, there's two hearts, you know, it's not all about you. Even if you think, well, I'm the breadwinner, I've got to do this. There's no such thing as not creating time and space for your beloved. Otherwise, you're just best to be single. And I love how you're emphasizing the importance of nurturing the connection and deepening the connection. Because I feel, as you mentioned, that this in our society that we are focused on getting results and going somewhere and reaching pleasure and orgasm, just some, sometimes it's hard to slow down and connect. So I think that's definitely very important. So we're toward the end of our time. I know you have multiple great services you offer. You have this fantastic website. So share us with our listeners. How can they connect with you? Sure, Naz. The best way for people to connect with me is on stellamuse.com and that's Stella with an A and there's lots of free videos, an ebook, lots of content up there, some really in-depth content. I've got podcasts and all of that. So you can find something that resonates with you. If you've got any questions or if you feel I can serve you on your journey, you're welcome to email me at elise at stellamuse.com and that's easy to find on my contact page. Awesome. I'll make sure that I leave all of the great information in the show notes. It was lovely to talk to you and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Naz. It's an absolute pleasure. You're a beautiful shining light and I love what you're doing. So it's, it's up to us and everyone else out there to keep doing that. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my interview with Elise. Tantra is not something that I practice. I usually don't consider myself a spiritual person. I do lots of yoga and mindfulness. But after this interview, I'm thinking maybe it would be interesting for me to learn further about it and see if that is something that would be helpful for me to add to my practice. I would love to hear your thoughts and feedbacks and I would really appreciate it if you take a moment and write us an honest review on iTunes or Stitchers. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexology.com.
sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.